0: Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. It's the Stacks Book Club day around these parts and I am thrilled that Keisha Layman is back to help us discuss Breathe, A Letter to My Sons by Imani Perry. This book is emotional, profound and has so many layers that we peel back on today's discussion. There are no spoilers. Before we dive in, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters, aka the Stacks Pack. These people have committed to a monthly contribution to the Stacks that allows me to make this show week in and week out. In exchange for their generosity, they earn perks like our virtual book club and more. Thank you to the following people who have joined the Stacks Pack. Please know that I could not make the show without all of you, and I'm so honored to have you in my corner. Keaton Bergston, Chris Brayton, Kimmy Laughlin, Emily Johnston, Becky Wheeler, Carolyn Strug, Michelle Claw, Megan, Hannah Ludwig, Julie Kelman, Leslie Rainier. Okay, last thing. Be sure to listen all the way to the end of today's episode to find out our August pick for the Stacks Book Club. All right, let's do it. Now my conversation with Kiesa Lehman about Breathe by Imani Perry. All right, you guys, I am back again with Say Lehman, author, and we're going to talk about Breathe by Imani Perry for the Stacks Book Club. So Say, welcome back. Hey, Tracy. I'm happy to be here again. Thank you for having me. Me too. Um, for people at home, we're going to be talking about Breathe in detail. There aren't really spoilers in this book. So if you have not read the book, you're going to probably be fine listening. But you should read this book because it is very very good um say we always start at the same place for these book club conversations. What did you think of the book
1: um i was I was astounded by the book as someone who knows Imani who's read um her five what five previous books um uh, i'm gonna be honest like i didn't i just didn't think i didn't I didn't think anybody could pull off this book and I didn't think Imani could pull off the book because. You know, like this, it's such a sensorium book. It's such a sensory book, and she's writing to two different young people mm. while writing to an audience and us. And um, it, it just, it was just a feat that I, I just had never seen anybody pull off. And because Imani to me seems like she's in some way like above, like like writing to younger people, which is which is strange, like. I just didn't know how she could pull it off. Really. I'm saying like, I didn't realize she had this style in her repertoire and mm-hmm. she did. And so that's, it, it, it was amazing. And again, she's, she's writing the two sons. She's not writing the, just one, she's writing the two and she's writing to a third, which I think I would say, you know, us. Right. As a yeah.
0: Right. I was really blown away by this book. So I, I mean, I'll tell the listeners originally when I reached out to you, it was before kind of like this movement for Black Lives is having this current moment. It was like a few days before, really. And I had suggested that we do Toni Morrison because we always do a Toni Morrison once a year on the show. And I thought, oh my God, that would be so great. Kia Salem so smart. I think that would be awesome. And we had, you know, tentatively decided on maybe Song of Solomon. And then I signed into one of those zoom whatever crowdcast chats between you and Imani Perry and I immediately emailed you the next day and was like look I know we said we were gonna do Song of Solomon but I think we should do Breathe and you were like yes let's do it but I had not read the book yet and I've never read anything and I never read any books by Imani Perry I'd read some essays Mm -hmm. by her and stuff but I was familiar with her but I hadn't read her work and I was blown away by this book I just thought it was such a surprise for me how good it was and I'm often shocked when books are so moving and powerful that they don't receive uh, the attention that I think that they should especially as someone who's like in the book world right like I understand if it's not a New York Times bestseller you know I understand if it's not competing with like where the crawdads sing, right like I get that but like in the book space I'm shocked that like I never heard from her publicist. I never like, no, there was no push and this book just came out. And so I kind of was like, maybe it's not that good or maybe like, you know, and then I read it and I'm like in the bathtub yelling to my husband, like, listen to this sentence, listen to this sentence. And you know, I'm like, I'm reading it while I'm feeding the boys. I'm reading it out loud to my boys just cause they like when I read to them, what well, one of them does. And I just was like, I almost was annoyed that the book was so good because I was mad that it didn't get the love that I thought that it deserved. And that really frustrated me. Yeah. Like I'm, and so I'm even happier that we're doing it on the podcast because I'm like, this book needs to be read and it needs to be discussed. And, you know, one of the things that kind of popped into my mind, I was discussing it with a friend, another reader friend of mine and that like, it sort of is the companion piece. And I would argue slightly better, if that's such a thing, to Between the World and Me, right? right? Like, it kind of is like, if Between the World and Me could be written a few years later, it would, and it was coming from the, a mother, like, you know, these books kind of fit together really nicely. And uh, I just really, really liked it. And I'm annoyed that I liked it so much because I would have liked it not to be so good, so I could be like, Yeah, well, that's why nobody's read it, but I don't understand why nobody's read it.
1: And and she's so upfront about how Between the World and Me and other texts, like, you know, influenced her writing of the book, right? Right. Like it 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 just it just says something about the world we're in where people and this is not at all a dis and of, 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 of between the world and me it, it's 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 a diss of something else that I'm not able to like you know concretize in language right now but like if you read between the world and me you 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 must read breathe yes like like it, it's 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 mandatory that you read breathe do you know what I'm saying yeah. and 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 I, and I actually think real real talk I actually think breathe will help people understand some of me uh, between the world and me even more. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and, and vice versa. But, but what she's taking on in that book, I mean, you have two, you have two kids, you have two, you have twins. Like I, I just can, I've never even imagined writing two two children before because of that, like weird, odd thing where, you know, you can have kids that come out, and sort of treated the same way, and they're so different. But she she gives voice to their differences yeah, too, right? Like, yeah, and without without just like um, fetishizing her children. Like, you can feel the differences in those two kids, and and I I would argue that she uses different kinds of language, not just to describe them, but when directly addressing them differently. So to me, it's just like a literary fucking like marvel, and and it makes me so angry. That that the rest of the world has not caught up with that book the way they need to, but yeah. but there's still time, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still there's a lot of time. Like we live in this internet age, but I but you know, I think in the next few years, the rest of the world is gonna catch up and and realize that they and we need breathe.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean saying like how she talks to them differently or how she kind of addresses them and, and acknowledges their differences. There's that one part where she talks about their voices and she says that Freeman's voice is low. And she says, Issa's voice is still so high. And she says it's swing low, sweet chariot. And I was like, yo, yes. yo, that's like the most that's beautiful. Me
1: yeah. You asked me, you asked me in a, in an earlier podcast about the things that like I was sobbing because you know why? Because I want my mom to be able to see, to like, I wish my mom could had written that just just that graph Mm -hmm. about me, you know, just like you you know, there's somebody in the world who cares not just about your well being, not just about like your success, not just about your safety, but like literally cares about the texture of your voice. Right. What?
0: Right. I know it's just so beautiful. Do you are you familiar with Danny McLean? She wrote the book We Live (laughs) for the Week. Okay, so she was on this podcast last summer, and she. Um, mentioned this book as a book she was looking forward to reading kind of in passing. And I remember looking it up and being like, oh, that sounds nice. So this also is like kind of special for me because I think Danny McLean is, I don't know, so profoundly brilliant. It's unbelievable. Another woman who I'm like, how are more people not talking about her book and her work? But she I mean, she was right on. This book is totally in line with like this. I guess the conversation is like these books that are about black mothering. You know, and like this very specific thing, which which we're taught so much about indirectly, like through the media. Right. We're taught so much about how black men are incarcerated and killed and and all this. And they're, dr- they're on drugs and all this stuff. And kind of indirectly, we're being taught about black mothering. Right. Like these single family homes and all this stuff that are led by the mother. And yet we don't have nearly enough texts about what it means to mother as a black person, you know, and so I think. It is, um, because I think that people don't really—I mean, people, white people don't truly care about um, black humanity, right? Like, it's the black pain that's that is the sexy thing. It's the black you know, hurt and, and it's nice to be able to call black people beasts and to lock them up and to watch them die and all this stuff. But when you have to actually look at the humanity of blackness, right. And like, who are the people that foster that spirit that so many black people talk about, which is like the, you know, in the endurance that we have and the ability to, like we talked about last week, find the joy in shitty situations. Like that comes from our mothers. Um Yes. And I I mean, yeah. I, my mom is white, so I don't have a black mother, but I have black mother figures, right? And like, I think I could also argue that my dad was also a black mother, you know? Like he was older and he um, was a stay-at-home parent for me. He was my at-home parent. So he did a lot of black mothering also. But I just think that that, that line of like perseverance mm. towards a joy is that is from black motherhood. And I think that's not nearly as sexy to the outside eye. Right. But I think I would argue for probably most black people, that is the whole thing, you know,
1: you know, what's really like super mesmerizing about what you just said is like your father did a lot of the black mothering and, and, but then I wonder, like, could this, this isn't, I mean, it sounds like I'm directing this to you, but like, But but can white mothers of black children also do black mothering or is that or is that something? So
0: So my I mean, my mom obviously did a lot of mothering, right? But she doesn't necessarily have the experience of blackness. But my dad was one of those like black parents that really like would sit us down and talk about black shit. Like I I remember so many times, like something would happen and I would get in trouble with like a group of my little white girlfriends from school. And he would be like, you can't be doing the same things that Helen can do. Right. Or like you can't be running around with those girls because you're going to get in trouble. And I remember very clearly not understanding it and being like, that's not fair. Like we all did. We all put toilet paper or whatever the fuck we did. We all were, putting soap on the ground in the bath like dumb shit like nothing real like stupid sixth grade shit but he my dad was like always questioning race and so my mom definitely like there was never a time that my mom ever made me feel like not proud of being black or anything like that but the actual like the actual black pride that I feel Came from my dad and it didn't come Until much much later Like I would argue probably not until I was 20 like in the last 10 to 15 Years did I even start to understand A lot of the stuff he was saying Yeah Yeah. Um, But I I mean I I think my mom probably can Does some of the I'm sure She does some of the stuff that Of black mothering but it might Just not feel like that Because she is white too you know Like I just might not think of it in that way
1: yeah, thank you for even. I, I always wanted to ask that question, not just not of you, but just of, of people. But I was always scared to. But and 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 and, and, when I, and what Imani doesn't breathe is just like she makes something we know is expansive, right? Like black mothering, though it is always disciplined and ignored, and you know, just held to a standard that it shouldn't be held to. She somehow like. Makes 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 mothering like and parenting like much more expansive than I ever imagined. Like there's this line in that book where she says, "You are second generation integrators." Mm. Like, as a child, or as a human, or as a grown ass man now, like I I just needed to hear that, mm-hmm. not just from a mother, but but from anyone who loved me. Right? There's a directive in that sentence, right? Like, you are second generation integrators. Like. You you know, you're wondering who you are, you're wondering how you feel, you're into this, you're into that. Let me tell you one thing you are, right? I don't know. And and, and there's so many sentences in there that are, are so declarative and cradling. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think sometimes when we think about mothering, we only think about the cradling. And I just think that like she just does like an amazing job of 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 cradling and being tender, but also giving giving her young giving her children directives, that she is still in the midst of trying to follow herself. Right. That's why it's such a Genius as book, you know.
0: Right, because you said there's like three people in the audience, right? The two sons and then us, and I think maybe four, maybe her too. Like it, a lot of it feels like that she's saying pretty- it to herself, you know, and being like, yeah. "Let me just write this down, because if I write it down, then it's true, and then I have to live by this too, or I have to appreciate this yes. too." The other thing that I think is great that, it, that it's you that I get to talk to about with this book, talk about this book with, is. Because your book is also a letter to a family member, right? Like your letter, your book also is in conversation with Breathe because it is the letter from the son to the mother. And I'm just, right. I mean, and and then there are lots of books, like we mentioned Between the World and Me, The Fire Next Time, like these books that are in this tradition of writing about life and in all these cases, black life yep. to a family member. What I mean, can you speak to that at all? Why that's important? Why that is a tradition that we that we have that we see?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I I just think the epistolary form for black folks is, is 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 so important, partially because white publishing has dictated that when we when we do speak or when we do talk, you know, from slave narratives on like the directive was like we are talking to a white public with the intent of hoping this white public can see their humanity a little bit more and then grant us more humanity. So mm. I think when we see text that like even gesture toward not doing that, right? Like gesture toward like internality of black life, gesture toward like that intimacy that we know exists between us. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm seduced by that shit, you know what I mean? Um, but it can be done really poorly. Like, got other things right. like to say there are lots of these like epistolary books out there, like dear brother, dear son, dear blah, blah, right, blah. That right. Are not books, right. Like it, it's, it's a, it, you know, it it's, it's a, it's a device. Like there's no specificity to the, to the nephew or the niece or the son or blah, blah, right. blah. But Imani is not doing that shit. Like that's what's so incredible. Like if, if one does read her five previous books, it's just like, and, and they span like, you know, she's, she's, She's writing history. She's writing um, gender theory. She's writing hip hop, like um, um, culture and craft books. Um, you know, she's writing like biographies. Right. And I just think when I read this book, I was like, oh shit, she had to write all of that to be able to do this. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, right. like, I, what I feel is that I'm not at all saying Imani was wasn't writing to us in those other books. I think she was, but I think that this book. Demands of intimacy, and what we see is that you can get that intimacy, and not lose any rigor. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's a rigorous, lush, loving book. Yeah. To me. Yeah. You know, like she's, you know, one page she's talking about fucking Fortnite, and then she's talking <laughs> about Emerson, and then she's talking about Tony K. Bombara. You know what I'm saying? This is the same motherfucking page. You know right. what I mean? Like, like that that says speaks to some sort of intimacy one has with the person to whom they're writing. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm so seduced by the direct address um, is because black folks, when we do talk, like we might, we, you know, we might start talking about like, you know, the wonders of azaleas. And <laughs> uh, and then we might be like, man, you know what, speaking of azalea, azalea banks, ain't yeah. you know what I'm saying? And they might go off and start talking about like, talking about banks, like a motherfucker can't get no loan. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like these are conversations that all like whole like the same like 20 second fucking space but it's just hard to pull off in a book
0: right no that's so true um and she she does the weaving of all of these different like strands so beautifully like it's not just like that she pulls from all these places but the writing is like really pretty and like full and lush and juicy and you know some of the sentences are like two words and some of the sentences are like 30 words and like they just and they're right yeah. next to each other and and the rhythm and the vibe it's just like from the start of the book I knew exactly where I was as a reader and a lot of the times I think maybe because I read a lot the beginnings of books sometimes I I I can't figure out, I can't get situated, right? Like I can't find myself. And this book, I picked it up and I was like, yo, like I'm here fully. And, and she takes like these personal little moments with her sons and she takes these like big historic moments and she puts it all together. And the form is just like so good. Like, it's just so good. It's annoying because I it like to talk. Yeah, like it's like, uh, okay, so you're perfect. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> and as a fucking like writer,
0: fam, when I tell you she does some shit
1: in this book, just like with language that you're not supposed to do, like there's a passage. And so one way to write this passage would be like, my children, comma, you have seen us, the adults in the world, right? She doesn't do that, right? She, she says, my children, period. That's a period. That right. means the world. My my children, period. You have seen us, the adults in your world, impotent to bring our lost ones back to protect the children, or the mothers, or the fathers, or even avenge their deaths, as as useless as retribution would be when it comes to broken hearts. Like, that's 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 just like all that's just like audacious. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like with the punctuation, that's the same shit you see in Baldwin. Ill-ass punctuation. But it just, again, it makes me feel like if the book wasn't going to be, like, pushed tremendously when it came out, it just seems like beyond all the other shit about what she's doing so beautifully, writers, writers were supposed to read this book and be like, oh, this motherfucker, right? here is on some other shit. Because that's how I felt.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. See, I'm not a writer, so I don't ever think about, Read reading as a writer, I always think about reading as a reader um mm. I just I don't write like i'm a I don't like it, I'm not good at it, I like to read, like reading is my jam, yeah, I love reading, I don't I like writing, and I've never liked writing yeah, I don't read, I don't read you, to write' cause you, cause
1: you talk you ask questions like well, you ask questions like you, but you ask questions like someone who's tried to fuck with this language and like tried and failed and succeeded, tried and failed and succeeded.
0: No, I mean, I, I, I went guess... to theater school. Like I have an arts background. I was a dancer. Like, so I'm definitely a creative, you know? And I think maybe yes. that's where it comes from. Like I have a, an appreciation for the process. I have an appreciation that's... for like doing the work, but um, I don't, writing is not my my medium at all. Like I'm not interested as, I'm not interested in writing, though I'm interested in other people's writing, you know? Um, and creation. So I feel like we have to talk about this book in this moment that we read it, right? Because yeah. this book came out last fall, fall 2019. Yeah. And I read it this past week, which is, you know, everything's starting to settle around the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Not that people have stopped at all, but just like it's we're starting to try to make sense of what just happened two or three weeks yeah. ago. And like, and one of the things that I found to be so jarring and reading this book is like she didn't write it this week right like this and she could have written it five years ago and it still would have been just as relevant but you know she's talking about injustice and she's talking about kids getting murdered by the police and she's talking about all of this stuff that I mean I, I don't know if there was a better week to pick up this book for me and she didn't write this book with this week in mind and so I I don't know. I always think about this when I read things that feel very topical in the moment, because obviously none of it is new and yet still it kind of takes your breath away because it yes. feels like she knew. I don't know. I don't know what the question is.
1: <laughs> she knew. I mean, and and I'm the wrong person, right? Cause, cause Imani Perry is, is the reason I'm talking to you right now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like if I don't meet and read Imani Perry, like, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't have written I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't have tried to write some of the things that I've written, but she knew. And then like there's that section in Breathe when she's talking about their play uncle Byron, right? Mm. And and you know, she calls me like her play cousin, Imani does, and she's my play cousin. And ultimately, like Byron dies, and she's trying to talk about like these lineages and these connections that we have that are ancestral ancestral and, and blood D, even if they're not through blood. And, and I think that's so much of what some of us feel right now. When we think about Breonna Taylor, when we, when we think about, when we, when we see what happened to George Floyd, like I, I didn't, I didn't know that actual human, but like that dude was my uncle. He Mm -hmm. was my fucking uncle and he was my play cousin and he was me. You know what I'm saying? Black motherfucker out here, got three or four jobs trying to make it. And then at the end of the day, getting murdered in fucking right. front of the world and then begging for your mama, you know, or, you know, a, a, a play niece in Brianna Taylor, who, you know, you worked your ass off for all day trying to save people. You trying to get that good sleep, which is hard for all people and particularly mm-hmm. it's hard for black folks. And then you come get fucking murdered in your sleep. And so I think if we understand that there is an ancestral connection, I think it's what Imani is saying. And that Brianna is our play cousin, our play niece, and that George Floyd is their play uncle or our play cousin, it, it, it helps explain more of why at this point, finally, we, we all are just saying, nah, you ain't going to kill no more of our family. That's what right. I think Imani's actually saying in this book, you know what I mean, With, without saying it explicitly.
0: Right.
1: Because so you, you've, you've done so much, you've, you've killed so many of them. You don't right. get to kill no, no more of our cousins, our play cousins. You know, like, no, no, right? not anymore because we want to breathe. Right.
0: And then and then she makes she complicates that, though, by talking about how it's easy to feel like, oh, this person could have been my child or could have been my cousin or could have been my whatever. But it's not. And that we can't let our own egos as black people to, like, center our own fear and grief when the pain that the actual family members of people like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd or Trayvon Martin or Michael Brown or Ahmaud Arbery, like, I mean, the list, I could go for, you know, Emmett Till, yeah. you know, yeah. anybody, that the parent, the pain is really that of their families. And it really is their own pain and their own grief to bear and that we can't let our own imaginations take away from people's actual grief. And I mean, that to me was also really mind blowing, right? Because we have that moment of Obama saying, if Trayvon, if I had a son, he would have looked a lot like Trayvon Martin, right? And like, that's a hugely powerful moment on, in one hand. And then also that takes away from Sabrina Fulton's experience, right? Like, and it's just, I mean, that was really jarring for me because she also then calls Um, on us that the thoughts of ourself of our own self in these situations our imagination should not take away from our collective outrage and grief but also that those aren't out it's not our grief at all like that we're not experiencing it and that was like yo because that's, that's the same real, Sam. shit that, like, white people do to us, right? Like, I'm sure I'm, – I've got to assume that you've been getting phone calls or texts from white people that you know being like, how are you? I can't imagine. It must be so hard to be black or, like, you must be – maybe not those exact words, but, like, oh, it must be so hard. Are you hanging in there? All this stuff. And it's like this isn't your grief. Like, you can imagine what it might be like, but this is oh, my oh, – you know?
1: So true,
0: Right. Yes, and 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 that
1: is Imani, right? Like it's like where where norm where I or or like you know another normal person would would stop the argument, like she continues the argument, like she continues the argument, and and would argue that that continuance of the argument is part of the inheritance of mm-hmm. what we have to do. So yes, at once these deaths become spectacular and titillating and shit, and and we can galvanize behind them. What as you say. We got to fucking make room for the motherfuckers who actually know how George Floyd smelled, right? right? Like, right? Like, we, 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 we can't, we can't allow the titillating spectacle to overpower the actual fucking relationship that this man had to human beings in the world, because that's what officers at their worst, teachers at their worst, Americans at their worst do to us every day, right? Like, right. I have to believe if they thought that we were like connected in these loving intimate ways to other human beings like they wouldn't do it i mean that's me being hopeful but right yeah and yeah that's a great point i'm so glad you brought yeah that's right she doesn't just stop there she keeps yeah she, she keeps,
0: keeps going taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. I mean, that's the whole book. It's like everything she says, she complicates. Like, she it, it, She says something, and you're like, yes, oh my God, totally, 100% that. And then she complicates it, and you're like, yeah, also 100% that. Like, and they're right. two conflicting <laughs> ideas, and somehow they're both true and real and correct. They're both yeses. Yes.
1: You know, you know, reading the book, I don't know about you, but like, and this isn't a diss of my mom at all. It's just it 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 like it forces you to think about what being parented by someone who's able to write Breathe what is like. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yes. because you know, like that that's the that's like the that's the thing I've never, like, I wanted to talk about that in, in that conversation the other day, but we didn't get a chance to because we were talking about all the other shit. But, like, like I'm interested in what it means to, like, for her to parent her two sons. But also, when those boys are older, like, I want to I wanna talk. Because, you know, they're kids, right? Like, kids get in the shit. Kids do shit. Kids do shit. Right. And, and black kids are going to get punished from the state disproportionately more harmful than kids who are not than, than white kids but they're kids and so like i just wonder like i wonder because i think i can imagine what it feels like because imani is not writing this shit as a perfect parent you know what i'm saying she's not writing this shit as like a stiff-ass a- intellect like i can see her dancing with her kids i can see her laughing at jokes i can see them doing that oh mama please not now right you know, i can see them yeah. doing all the things that parents do <laughs> But I also wonder what it's like to be raised by a parent who is so committed to, among other things, being a loving parent. Right. And and that probably says a lot about my life, but, like, I just wonder what that's like.
0: Well, and also, I mean, she has the skill set to write about it. Like, I'm sure a lot of parents think about it and have their own philosophies and, like, you know, lose sleep about it. But that, that she could actually write about it, you know? Like, put it down yes. on paper. Because, I I mean, I I have been obviously thinking a lot about what it means to be a parent and having to... I mean, my husband is white, so my kids are very fair-skinned. Um, and so I have a lot of anxiety about this. Because for me, I'm worried that I have to... If if they decide that they identify as male, right, and that they want to live as male, I have this potential of having to cis-het white looking boys, but they're not white, you Mm. know? And like, so I've been thinking a lot about that, but I could never write about that in the way that she does, you know? So like my kids may never know what I'm grappling with right now. And probably for the rest of my life, that that stuff is like somehow stuck inside of me in a way that they won't, that I wish I could put it down on paper. Like I wish Imani Perry could come in my brain and then write it for me so that they could know.
1: And and when you read Breathe, your twins were already born, right?
0: Yeah, I just read it last week. So yeah. They were like okay. six so, months old. So
1: did did like did it did, and this might be too personal, but but like did it and if it is whatever, edit this shit out. Okay. But like <laughs> did it did it did it did it make you feel like a different kind of joy and or fear about the parenting of those two twins than yes. you had before.
0: Yes. And it, it it some of it kind of like reinforced things I'd been thinking about. Um, like justice, because she talks about how and fairness, how kids understand fairness and love better than adults. Like that that's something that they just inherently understand. And so that's something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, you know, we took the boys to Two protests already, you know, and it was important to me to go, even though, you know, my anxiety around the pandemic has been very, very high. I just said, we have to go because I need to be able to say to these babies in five years or 25 years, yeah, no, we were there and we took you and you were there. And it was important enough to go outside and be among people in a pandemic because, you know, like, so, so that sort of thing kind of reinforced. But then I think it also... I'm also terrified of what it means to raise two boys right now who I mean, I don't know. Thankfully, I think they have a little color to them. So I'm hoping at least people will be like, (laughs) you got something (laughs) like I think people will be like, what are you which I get all the time, which is don't ever say that to someone what a fucking idiotic thing to say. But I'm hopeful that people won't just assume that they're white. But but I am. I, I have a lot of fear. And this book just it, you know, I could feel that in her, too, that she is yeah. also scared of being a mom in some ways um, and not necessarily being a mom, but being a mom in the world. Right. Like if she could keep them safe in her house at all times, I think she probably wouldn't have fear. But I think it's like the second you open the door, it's like, what what is this?
1: And, and when she makes that distinction between, you know, I want I, I want to say something to y'all that I hope you can understand. You know, like I'm not sure white people are redeemable, and <sighs> and I don't want you to love white people. But she's saying this does not mean I don't want you to have loving relationships with particular white people. But Wait. as a whole, but 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 and but she's like, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid of like living in a world and y'all living in a world where white people are not redeemable. And so and she does it so deftly. But like, I'm sure you can feel that in, a, in like a, 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 a differently. Deep Mm -hmm. way, but I felt that shit in my chest. Right, you know, like I was like, "Oh shit," you know, like because she's not saying don't fall in love with somebody white or, you know, don't have white best friends, but, but, but don't invest yourself in this notion of white people being what white people think they are.
0: Right, and
1: and because I don't think that they, there's a part of me that wonders if white folks will, will forever believe that about themselves in mass in this nation, and 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 not just period, but but it scares me. I just think that says so much.
0: Yeah. No. It, I mean, that part. I that part was definitely. I felt that as well. I mean, Because yeah. it's like, you know, for for me specifically, like I am as much black as I am white, and I think right. like genetically, right? Or like not genetic. Yeah. I guess we're all the same, but like you know, my mom is white and my dad is black, and that's just what it right. is. And and so there is definitely a struggle there for me personally. Because she's saying, "You can love white people, individual white people, but like the collective idea of whiteness and like what it means to be white and I, I ultimately white supremacy, I think, right that we can't we have to not love that and and that's hard because that also you know courses through my veins, right like I have white very much white blood in my body as much as i have black blood and just because you know other people don't see that when they see me necessarily i mean i think you i i think i look mixed you know like i think that i very much look like a mix of my dad and my mom you know like my skin you know all that stuff but but i am always like i'll tell you this story so someone sent an email to me or something and and they were asking me about a book and they wanted to know what I thought about the book as a non-white person and I was deeply offended by that because I'm actually not non-white and that Mm. like I didn't like Mm -hmm. being defined that way and I'd never really thought about it before but for whatever reason when they asked me like I'm just curious what non-white people like what a non-white person would think about this book I was like well first of all fuck you. Like I, even if you see me as black or not white, I actually am white, you know, like that is a part of who I am Um, and it's a big part of who I am, you know, (laughs) like, so, so I definitely like took a few minutes on that section of the book because yeah, whiteness is, is been horrible and, and violent and done so many terrible things to so many black people in this country. And yet still. I grapple with what it, with that white guilt, in addition to like the pride I have in being black. And I think that's going to be even more so for my sons.
1: Yes. And 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 when you said that, it's like, I almost forgot that, you know, there's a portion in the book where she, she says, you know, like, I was raised by a Jewish father,
0: right? right.
1: Like, a Jewish communist father. Right. And she and, you know and th- this man who looks you know typically white, she's like that that's my father, you know? And he was a revolutionary. Right? right? Which 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 says and she uses those words to talk about a bit about like who like a- another part of not just her lineage, but the lineage of her of her son. So, I don't know, I just think like she does this incredible job of talking to these two black sons about this complicated radical revolutionary lineage that also has some Jewish communist um, underpinnings as well. You know what I mean?
0: Let me ask you this. So I feel like the thing that we're kind of grappling with is like the idea of whiteness like as a big thing, like the collective whiteness versus individual white people. And we're kind of struggling and Imani Perry struggles with it in the book. But then when I think about white people talking about black people, it's so easy for white people to be like, but I have a black friend or my cousin's black and they can so easily do this thing that we can't seem to do, which is like hate black people or be afraid of black people, but still be able to love an individual black person. And like, that's something they're super proud of. Right? Like I did call the cops on this black kid for selling lemonade, but also my niece is black. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I don't know why we can't do that. Like why it's so hard. I mean, we can, but I don't know why it's so hard for us to be able to not like, the collective white, but be able to love the individual white? I mean, I mean,
1: there are a lot of things that I think about that. Like, why is it so hard? And then what do we do with like the anti-Black sometimes inclinations that some of us have, right, that are like find, sometimes find value in things that are not just white but find value in, like, ideas and ideas and, and and traditions that are that are not Black, too. You know, mm. I don't know. I just think she does a great job of, like, talking about anti-Blackness as a thing that really exists, but then, you know, just perpetually saying over and over in this book in different words that we are more than the depth of our wounds. And I think when people hear that line, we are more than the depth of our wounds, I, d- I think people hear that shit as, like, simplistic. But mm. the more... Like the more is like what I'm interested in, because I think that's tied to your question. I think we can do what you just said because we are more like I'm not trying to be like we're superior and all of that shit. But like we have had to be more and we are more than like these like singular entities and more than like the depth of these wounds and more than just like joyful black folks and more than like anti-black black folks. Like there's a there's like a cacophony of like all of this shit. And I hear it. I can hear it when I see somebody. When you sent me the email the first time, I could see it in the... I could hear it in the text, even though the fucking, you know, text couldn't talk. You know what I mean? Like, there's a more. In the worst parts of whiteness, I just think attempt, either through conservative means or neoliberal means, to, like, smash that more down Mm. into shit that is not abundant. But fuck that shit. Like, we are. We are abundantly fucking, like, all of this shit. You know?
0: Right. Yeah. No, I do know. That's so right. There's a podcast called um, Seen on Radio, and they have a series on whiteness. And Mm -hmm. it's incredible. And it's this guy, John B. Wynn. And then he brings in, I don't know if you are familiar with Chendrai Komenika, but he's a, okay. So Chendrai is on the podcast as kind of like he comes in to like help John work through discovering that white people have done all these terrible things. And one of the questions that Chendrai asks is when was whiteness good? because they talk about how whiteness was created to basically legitimize slavery. And right. I think that that's also, I think part of it for, for black people is like, it's hard to separate what it means to be white from what it means to be white. Why, why there is white. Right. like, and so I've been thinking about, I I listened to the podcast when it first came out a few years ago. And then I listened to it again earlier this month, just, for shits and giggles just (laughs) just to be reminded about you know the history of race in America and and now I can't stop thinking about when was whiteness good you know damn I mean
1: well I mean I think the converse to that question is if we can't think about when whiteness was good And I I usually don't invest in these, like, origin narratives where it's like, we got to get back to our good origins. I don't care whoever says that shit. I think origins are often messy, too. But the, the converse to that question is, like, can white, can't if we can't think about when whiteness was good, and I think Baldwin would say no to this question, like, can whiteness be good? Right. I don't think I like my answer to that question, but what do you think?
0: I feel like the answer to that question, is not something that is a fun thing to think about. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I, again, I struggle with this, you know, cause I, I, I struggle with this. And also, you know, I, I think I should say it. My mom will probably get mad if I don't mention this. And my aunt who both listen, like our white our the white in my family is, they're they're Jewish immigrants from Russia, right? So like, I don't come from a line of, of American whiteness, right? And I think, you know, even me having to say that is like the stupid disclaimer because of course they benefited from being white, even if they also mm-hmm. experienced diversity for being Jewish. But I think that part of that is like how I can feel okay at night, you know? And I don't think about the whiteness that comes from my dad's side. My dad's side is Creole, you know? So like there's some other shit going on Uh, you know and like i i know you know i'm not i don't unfortunately i don't have like the history of my dad's family past my grandma like i don't know any ancestry past that but my assumption is that if there are black people from louisiana my last name is thomas that you know there was some slavery going on and and my grandmother was pretty fair and so you know i could draw draw the lines there but i don't i haven't I've tried to look it up and then I also haven't tried hard enough because I don't really want to know. <laughs> you. you know. You. Yeah. Like it's it's tricky. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, 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 and I and I think that question is so much deeper than just to reiterate again cuz I think it's important than like, you know, can people who uh are phenotypically white, you know, be 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 good or redeemable. That's not what we're asking right now. Right,
0: it's not about right. individuals.
1: Right, right. It's like, can whiteness, can whiteness be good um, in this nation? I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know either. Know. Um, um, I mean, I we kind of touched on this last week, but I'm curious if you if you could go, or last time, a little bit deeper about. Do you remember there being a shift in your own? relationship to being black or your own work when heavy kind of got a lot of notoriety and attention and like white people started to value your work in a new way. Do you remember if that shifted how you thought about yourself or how you dealt with your writing? Yeah.
1: You know, it's just, it's, it's just so tightly wound. Right. So, you know, you have to heavy comes into the world because nobody in the world will publish How to Solely Kill Yourself and Others or Long Division. So I have to go to an independent press called Agate and pretty much give the books away for the books to come into the world. Now, the independent press called Agate is run by a white man, right? Um, This white man puts those books out in ways that I thought they shouldn't have been put out, and, and, I, and then I go on the road, I become my publisher, so I'm my editor, and, and I sell, I sell 50,000 books pretty much out of the trunk of my car, hmm. and I'm using these essays to bring people to my work. And then, you know, I, I start to get a pick of, of agents that I could work with. And the agent that, I, that that was the most, like, soulful and, like, effective to me was another white brother, uh, P.J. Mark, right? And then because my sister, Jasmine Ward, worked with Kathy Belden... A br- the brilliant Kathy Belden, who was a white editor at, at at Bloomsbury, I'm like, yo, if you get Mississippi Jasmine, you might get Mississippi me. So then I work with her, another, you know, another brilliant white person. And then when I work from there, I get two brilliant white publicists. So before my shit is even out into the world, it's gone through like six different white people's hands.
0: Mm. You see what
1: I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so, and so, and so. I was prepared for white people to, like, you know, have something to say about my work. But I wasn't prepared to do shit like win the Carnegie Award for nonfiction. Like, Mm -hmm. one, because Carnegie was a fucking eugenicist and racist (laughs) as fuck. Also, because, like, I just did not think that, like, that book I wrote would win that award. And, you know, we are talking honestly here now. Like, I knew I wrote one of the best books of the year. I'm not going to front. I read a lot of shit. I knew it. I knew it. I was surprised that I—I mean, this is the first time I've ever said this, and I probably shouldn't say it. I was surprised I didn't win some some other shit, but I was hmm. very surprised that I won the Carnegie Medal because of the history of of, of Andrew Carnegie. And so, so, so when white folks—not just Eugenics' white folks—but white folks started to value some of the stuff that I did, it did make me feel a little weird. But 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 I think the flip of this conversation is. Black folks and Latinx folks really love that shit. Do you know what I'm trying to say? There's just just less of us. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if I wrote a book that did not get like adoration or love or critical engagement from from black folks, but got only that from white people, I'd be fucked up right now. The kind of person I am, I would be, and I'm already fucked up, but I'd be more (laughs) fucked up. So, so. So it helped that, you know, like the white folks could see some value in it. You know, I still am wondering like what they see and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I know. I mean, I I get it. You write about the body from the position of a cis, you know, black man, a lot of white women are going to be like, oh, you're writing about the body in ways that I feel too. You know, you know, that's going to happen. But just like the valuing of it, I did not expect that. But whatever weirdness I feel from that is always countered by the fact that like, a lot of Black people fuck fuck with heavy. And I worried about that because what I'm doing mm. in heavy is doing some shit that Black people are told not to do, which is to keep all them secrets in-house, you right. know? And I'm not telling all the secrets at all, but it appears that I am. You know what right. I'm saying? Right, So anyway, that's a great question. But, like, I just think if I hadn't gotten any any care and attention, like, you know, like, if you didn't want to talk to me, you know what I'm saying? Or if Imani right. didn't like my book, but Time Magazine did and some other people... Um, on and Andrew Carnegie motherfuckers and you know the Isherwood and all these prizes and shit. I'd be like, right. oh, yo, I, I I'm 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 I am not at all who I think I am. But the fact that those people felt it, but then the, you know black folks who I who I do love and value and trust also critically felt it. That that kind of made me feel okay about it.
0: Right. So, because you're, because that was your audience, like you write for us and about us.
1: I mean, I do, but you know, we're always aware, it's like when you do this podcast, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we, we, we are multi, it's, it's a part of that abundance. We're like, is that, that more that Imani is talking about? Mm. Like, we are aware that, like, there's a primary audience, there's a secondary audience, and then there's like a, the other audience. Like, we're always aware when we get on these mics that, like, white folk might be watching. The question is, like, do we cater to that gaze? And, 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 and I think that's the third question. The first question is like how intent and I and having a loving conversation with the with the black person who I'm engaging with and the audience to whom I care, who has given me the most. Do you know what I'm right, saying? So I'm not trying right. to write like to white people like we all know white motherfuckers out here listening. But that doesn't right. mean that I have to cater to them. It, right. You know, the question is, like, how do I cater to the people who have made and in my in my life, the people who have made me happen to be primarily black southerners, you know, of which Imani right. is one. You know what I'm saying, but I'm wholly aware that, like, you know, the president of my fucking school, you know, at some point is gonna know that book is out in the world, and you know, so are all of these, you know, white teachers who told me I wouldn't be shit. But I'm not about to waste my ink writing right. to them to redeem myself because right. I know I come from people that are connected to you, connected to Imani, connect, connected to Regina Bradley, connected to Zandria Robinson, connected to Derek Harrell. Do you know what I mean? So I just think it's I think it's a lot, I think it's a lot more complicated when we talk about audience than. Sometimes I want to believe.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's more complicated. I think all the good stuff and the bad stuff, it's more complicated than we want it to be because it's like, it's overwhelming. Like, I feel like we could talk about this for six hours and feel like we got nowhere, you know, or not, not that we got nowhere, but just that like, there's still so much more to talk about. We, of course, are running out of time. There's, there's one thing that I feel like we have to talk about um, before we wrap up, which is you know, she t- she talks a little bit about how she's made some mistakes and that her thinking is flawed and that especially when it comes to kind of like maleness and like how she raised her boys and, you know, she gave them a doll so that they would nurture, but that, you know, she didn't really go there and, and you know, her relationship with religion. And it reminds me, this that part of the book, her talking about her mistakes – that she's made, it reminded me a lot of Malcolm X, um, because I feel like he's the most famous, at least to me, or the most important to me, black person who has publicly made mistakes and changed their thinking um, in such a public way. And it's profound. Profound. To see someone say just flat out, I did this thing, I thought it was right, it was wrong. Like that is just, what? People don't do that. And like, it doesn't take away the things that she says that she's done wrong. It doesn't change any of that, that that is where she was or where she is, but it it makes it meaningful. And and it's the
1: bedrock of what we talked about in the earlier podcast. Of of education, which right. is always about revision, right? Mm. It is it is impossible to educate oneself if you're constantly looking back and never seeing that you made a mistake, or if you're always like, "Well, if I hadn't made that mistake, I wouldn't be." You know what I mean? Like you you you, you right. like like Imani is is literally like embodying like radical education in this book by showing mm. us that she as a as like you know. The, the eminent educator, professor, writer in the world, fucked up, is trying to learn from those fuck-ups. And she is not saying that, like, at this point, I have learned. She's saying at this point, I am in the process of continuing to learn. And that's right. what, I mean, I'm, I'm a cornball fan, but, like, that's what we have to have. Like, that's what we need. We have to have learning in the service of radical, loving education, and we have to put put that shit like we have to like not burden our children with that, but we have to like convey that to our children. Like it it is it's 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 crucial that our kids be able to look back, our 14 year olds be able to look back when they were eight and be like, oh shit, I made that mistake when I was eight, and now let me revise that thought or feeling, you know like like right. and and, and that, you know and that's one of the reasons you asked me in a previous podcast why I would have Donald Trump read this book, is because I think he And the people who made him are examples of how like stunted education can be when you don't Mm. really believe in education or revision. And this book is not about Donald Trump. Thank God. It's about so many things that are much more profound and loving. But I just think she gives us a model of how to be better lovers, better children, better parents and better people. But it has to be it has to have radical revision education at its center or it ain't worth a damn.
0: Right. And it's not defensive at all at all you know she's not defensive I mean she even says culture isn't a word that should work as a defense and and like it, it's right because so often when we make mistakes when we say something you know I I often use like trans trans folks as an example because I think that I definitely was all fucked up on that 10 years ago five years ago I mean even yesterday pro- you know like I'm still learning right. so much about it but like to just be able to say that and to like, she gives us permission to be like, we were fucked up about this shit and not have to try to defend it. Everybody knows the whole country right. was bad on trans rights five years ago, but you know, right. I can just say I was bad on trans rights without having to like to blame someone else or to, you know, it that to me is like really radical and revolutionary and transformative as I continue to try to learn and grow and I, and like for young people to see that, I mean, she mentions Jim who worked with her father and he likes men and, and her father is basically like, yeah, do you know what a gay person is? And she's like, no. And she's like, well, people who like, like men who like other men and some people will treat them differently. And that's wrong. And like the end, like that's how we treat our, teach our kids. Like, right. It's so simple. Right. And we make it so hard. And I just appreciate her kind of like showing that as an example of like how to do right. You know?
1: And how young people are actually educating us. Right. Right. That's, that's the other subtext I got in this text. Like young people, her, like her boys are educating her about so many things that she goes on. You know, when I was a kid, I hope my mama didn't mind me saying this, but I was like 13 and my mom was talking about one of her colleagues who was bisexual. And I was just like, Okay, so what? And and my mom was like, "Key, that means that person's having sex with two people at the same time." And I was thirteen, right? Now my mom, I'm a, my mama's child. I read a lot. I'm like, "Uh, mama, bisexual does not mean that." She said, "Key, that is what it means." And I'm like, "Mama, that is not what it, you know what I mean?" So like, at, at at that moment, I'm teaching my mama something. Whether she heard it or not is 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 another question. But I just love how Imani also is is not just showing how she's a perpetual. Um, student of the world and student of liberation, but she's also a perpetual student of her own children who are her primary students. I I don't know. I, I just love this book. I just wish every human being on earth would read it. I think we'd be in a better place.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. The last thing we always talk about is title and cover. Um, I think there's only one cover. I don't think there's I don't even know if it's come out paperback at all. But it's like purple and yellow and red and kind of swirly and like arty and like really pretty. and white writing. The whole title is Breathe, A Letter to My Sons. I'm just super in into this whole book. Like I'm into the packaging, though. I don't know that the packaging necessarily like lets you know what's inside of it. I still right. am drawn to it. I thought, I think it's really beautiful and it feels like warm and cold and it feels like substantive, but also not like, you know, it's not like two little boys or like a photograph. I just like, <laughs> it's not literal and it's not, I just, I like, like I was drawn to, I'm drawn to the way that this book looks and, and the title breathe. I mean, it's so simple And it works because it's also, of course, complicated. And I think in this moment, when we're talking about I can't breathe again, you know, because this isn't the first time we've talked about I can't breathe. Let's not forget. Which is like, that's the thing that's so fucked up, right? That like George Floyd's tagline, right? This I can't breathe tagline, if you will, is the same shit from Eric Garner. Yeah. Like, it's becoming the murder of black men is becoming and women in trans people is becoming so redundant that we're recycling fucking last words. Yep,
1: yep. And, and Imani anticipated that because she understands yeah. the lineage from which we come. And in some way, with all these fucking weird how-tos out there, the, the, the shit to me that is so American is that with all these people in this world literally not being able to breathe because we all have to wear masks, not being able to breathe because Mm -hmm. fucking motherfucking cops have knees in people's necks, not being able to breathe because cops come in there and shoot you in your sleep. Imani in in some way is giving us an ex a complicated, complex, intertextual example of how we can get better at breathing. And if that shit is not on, on everybody's list to read in this moment and the next moment and the next movement and the next movement, I just think the list is suspect. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the book. This is the book we all need to be reading as humans, but definitely as Americans right now. Breathe.
0: Well, shit, we're going to end on that. Um, Kiese, thank you so, so, so much for being here. This has been, like, just a dream come true. So thank you for taking the time and for talking with me.
1: I'm so thankful that you have me. And thank you so much for giving our books, like, so much care and being rigorous. That's a big deal and fun. Thank (laughs) you.
0: Thank you. And everybody else? Oh, oh, I have to tell you guys what we're reading next month. Okay. I can't tell you who we're reading it with, but because Kiyose and I switched up the book, I had to get another person to do Toni Morrison with me. And the person is very good. I won't tell you who it is, but we're going to do Sula in August. So get your copies of Sula. That will be the last week of August. Kiyose, thank you for being here and everybody else. We will see you in the stacks. Alright, that does it for us today. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you to Kiesay Lehman for being our guest. As you heard, our Stacks Book Club pick for August is Sula by Toni Morrison, which we will be discussing on August 26th. Find everything we discussed on today's episode in the link in the show notes. And for more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and support this show, head over to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was edited and mixed by Will Sterling and created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.